my name is Brian Martin and you are listening to episode 14 of the Running Technique Tips podcast. Uh, and I'm now joined by my co-host, as usual from Sydney, Lisa Biffin. How are you going tonight, Lisa? I'm much better. Last week I was uh, suffering from a, a mild cold, I suppose. It wasn't full-blown, but it was enough to oh, knock me around a little bit, but I'm back on my feet. Excellent. Mm. And you've been out and done a monstrous midweek long run tonight. I know we're not going to talk about this week now, but um, yeah, I'm feeling out good. Some- I'm feeling good. Hey, do you ever, you know, when you, you get sick and you, like, you keep telling yourself, oh, well, I'm not dying. So, you know, I, I'm okay. I can keep plowing through. But it's not until you actually are back to 100% health, you realize how rubbish you actually felt. <laughs> oh, I do that yes, anyway. Unless yes. you, you probably get man flu and just curl up in a ball and don't come out of the house for a week. But, uh, <laughs> I haven't had man flu for such a long time, so wash your mouth out with water, <laughs> soap and water. But uh, I only get old man calf, not man flu. True. But, yeah, so I'm back to full health and just realised, you know, last week I really struggled through it, but um, I'm glad that I got over that little hurdle and back to myself again. How are you travelling, Mr. One Week to Go? Yeah, it's um, getting... Well, it's more than real now. It's uh, it's only a few days, da- as we're recording, it's only a few days away from the race. So, um, yeah, I've got my normal uh, pre-race little bit of nervousness going on and a little bit of pre-race uh, week blues, which we're, we're actually going to punch out two episodes this week. So um, we're not going to kind of stray today too much into what's been going on in race week. We'll get into that on Friday. Um but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely pretty front of mind. But yeah, when we when we talked last week, I'd just come off only running thirty five k's because I eased right back after having um, uh, this spontaneous tightening of my calf. Um, and uh, yeah, I was planning on kind of just sort of uh, easing, well, easing back up from a, a small three-week-out taper, which was only, yeah, that 35Ks and trying to run a few more miles in two weeks to go before the marathon. Um, so, yeah, fortunately um, managed to get through most of that. Mm. So what did you get through last week? You came off doing your 35Ks, so you're about 20 miles. And uh, did you manage to get out a few more Ks? I did, yeah. Look, I basically decided that I would sort of do – Almost a normal-ish week, except obviously I wouldn't be doing any monstrous long runs, um, and I just backed off a couple of the um, the sessions that I would normally do. Um, so uh, yeah, just in total, actually, actually went back up and did sixty-six k's for the week, which I actually forgot to do my conversions this week. It's so my bad. Miles. But I think that's a bit over 40 miles, yeah, <laughs> um, or thereabouts. Um, so in terms of volume, it actually wasn't, wasn't too bad, um, a week and yeah, it kicked off on Tuesday with a, a 50 minute, um, relatively easy run. I did about nine and a half Ks, um, 131 heart rate average. And what did I average pace wise? Wasn't too bad. I think it was 524s. Um, and then, yeah, I did my regular midweek long run 
on the Wednesday, which was about 91 minutes, 17 kilometres, um, 132 heart rate average and uh, average pace was 523s. And, um, yeah, that one actually included um, a little bit of marathon pace work as well. So I did um, 10 minutes at marathon pace from uh, 70 minutes onwards. So um, between 70 and 80 minutes um, did uh, that little marathon pace segment and that was um, uh, relatively comfortable. Heart rate didn't get out of control well and truly in the sort of marathon pace range, um, didn't go anywhere near the red zone which was which was good that was actually positive signs and that was kind of the first bit of slightly faster running that I'd done since the calf tightened up because the week before it was just um, jogging so yeah sort of running some 440 445 um, kilometer pace kind of average through that marathon pace segment was was actually a bit of a confidence boost that the the calf was holding together okay Mm. and what are you doing to keep it all in check uh, well, I've just kind of, yeah, as a combination of things, just some really gentle, long yin stretches that both of us have been doing to manage a few of our little niggles. Um, and that came to seem to be pretty effective at just kind of, um, uh, alleviating the symptoms and loosening it up. So I haven't had any kind of reoccurrence of the calf tightening up. Um, and yeah, a little bit of self-massage and, um, yeah, that's pretty much been it for, for that week in particular. So, um, and also, um, as, as, uh, Tom DeCanto mentioned and, uh, in our interview this week, um, it was sort of repeated again. I've sort of been staying out of the flatter shoes whilst I've had this calf issue. So, um, mostly running in the, um, in the Bostons, which are about a 10 mil offset and running in my old Nike Lunar races. I think they're about seven. Um, so yeah, staying apart from, I think I only did one short run on the Thursday in the, uh, the ultras. Um, and that was, yeah, just a 36 minute jog, um, which didn't cause any major stirring up the calf, which was again, a good sign. Um, which brought me on to Friday, which was, um, 50 minutes. Um, and that also contained, um, three by four minutes, um, at around 5k race pace effort. Um, that went okay. Calf was fine, which was probably the major concern. And in the back of my mind, I was really trying not to push it too hard during that session. Um, so probably a combination of that, that mental, just holding back a fraction, and possibly I've just maybe lost a little bit of that really top end. Um, I was only kind of averaging about four-minute kilometre pace through those four-minute efforts. Mm, still, um, whereas, it's yeah, not too bad. Weeks. And where are you doing this? Yeah, just out on the pavement or around a track? Um, just out on the kind of dirt trails yeah. um, in Ballarat. So, yeah, definitely not on the track. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. We're just a little bit off from the kind of 350s that I sort of had been, low 350s and even some 340s that I had been doing. So just a little bit of um, possible regression there. But, yeah, it was hard to decide whether I'd regressed fitness-wise or whether it was just me holding back a bit um, because of the uh, the calf. Mm. But I was pretty happy to get through it again because, yeah, obviously in the marathon I'm not going to be running anywhere near four-minute kilometre pace. Um, well, you might. With my, with my goal pace. <laughs> you <laughs> might for, unless it's the hero <laughs> sprint at the end. So, And, you know, if I pop my calf inside the MCG, I'll probably be okay with yeah. that. So, 
Um, I reckon, honestly, that it is a bit of the calf playing on your mind there. I mean, gosh, you only spent one week of down kilometres, so I can't imagine that you've really lost. In fact, you haven't lost it. It's just that you know how you become really tentative when you've got a bit of a sore spot or an injury, you're not running freely, and you've completely focused on that rather than rhythm? Absolutely. And you just feel every little twinge or ache or pain in your body and you start thinking, um, catastrophizing about what that might be. So, yeah. So, like, I'm not going to go into my run tonight in detail, but I started off for the first couple of Ks on my own. And this little runner's knee issue that I'm constantly managing, it was all that I could think about. But then I met up with my training partner and we got into conversation and, you know, got through nearly 19 Ks. Didn't, didn't even think about the knee <laughs> once. So it's funny how you know, how much you can focus on that one little niggle, especially, you know, with yourself, you're just running on your own. So um, you, you probably tend to overanalyze things more than you probably should. Yes, that's right. And look, it would be obviously be less of a concern if it was um, a lot further out from the race. But, um, yeah, you're definitely a bit more hypersensitive to it when um, – when uh, race day is is much closer. So anyway, got through that. Um, Saturday was just a short jog and then Sunday I did another 90-minute medium long run of about 16 kilometres or 10 miles. Um, Just took that one kind of easy. I just wanted to make sure I was well recovered, so 131 heart rate average and the pace for that one was a bit slower actually. That was about 5.38 kilometer pace so yeah that got me to the end of the week i was still in one piece i was very happy about that um still a bit unsure about what the implications of like having that weird having to drop off three weeks out to 30 something k's and then come back up to 60 odd and um what the implications of that might be performance wise but well uh, i can guarantee you it's probably not going to matter too much no well it's not going to happen what happened last year where you cooked yourself (laughs) you can guarantee that (laughs) no that's right (laughs) Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So that's definitely not happening. Um, so yeah, that that was my week. I'm still intact and uh, still hopeful of uh, a good performance on race day. What about you? Ah, uh, well, I was suffering from the cold last week actually, so I didn't do a great deal. I had quite an uneventful week up until Sunday. I was starting to get the cold on the Tuesday. I went out to my group uh, to do our usual Tuesday night session. It was the last night before daylight savings kicked in. So we're still plunged into darkness and I could just feel something coming on, you know, when you just like you just don't feel right like you just everything just seems a little bit too hard and I was just feeling a bit blah to be honest. And then I had a really sore throat that night and then woke up Wednesday and it was just like, oh, damn it, you know, I've got a bit of a cold. But uh, I wasn't really worried that much because I still, I think last week I was still four or five weeks out. I can't remember now, maybe four weeks. So I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to get a cold, I prefer it now than the week before. So I really just did a whole heap of gentle jogging. I spoke to you and you were just like, Easy Ks, <laughs> just get out and run slow. 
So that's pretty much what I did. Pretty, pretty hard to hurt, pretty hard to hurt yourself with a bit of gentle jogging around, and yeah. Yeah, especially if you've got a cold, you don't want to be pushing it. No, and the other thing that was happening was Sydney has just been plunged into torrential rain. So every single day has been just absolute torrential rain. So I just went out for a very easy thirteen kilometers on the Wednesday, and then the Thursday normally do my track run. And it was, it was absolutely pouring. And Thursday was the day where I felt the worst. And I just thought, what's the point? <laughs> I'm just going to get drenched. I've already got a cold. Um, so I actually went to the movies. <laughs> awesome. What did yes. you see? What did I see? You know, I actually don't even know. It was terrible. Um, I don't know the name of it, but it wasn't very good. I thoroughly enjoyed my double chock chock top and uh, family size bag of peanut M&Ms that I had to myself. <laughs> You didn't go and see the the reboot of Predator like I did a few weeks ago. No, that was pretty forgettable. No, no, I uh, I, I didn't. Uh, that was actually one of the options because I went with my husband. Uh, you know, we already had the nanny booked in, and we we're like, let's just go and see a movie. It was some like chick flick. I honestly don't remember the name of it. Uh, so clearly not very memorable. Given that I'm saying that my chock top and M and M's were the <laughs> were the highlight of my night. So as you can see, I have not managed to. Uh, get under wraps my sugar addiction. It's mm-hmm. very much still uh, <laughs> out of control. So I think I need, like, I need a listener or the listeners to give me some suggestions on <laughs> some some options, some tasty sugar free options that are going to curb my addiction to <laughs> my sugar. Because, you know, don't tell me fruit and don't tell me carrot sticks, like boring. That's just going to make me go straight back to the confectionery aisle. <laughs> Honey. Uh, yeah. So any listeners out there that have like a foolproof <laughs> solution to my out-of-control addiction, I would really appreciate that uh, advice or suggestions. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. So I then on Friday I did another very easy run. I was aiming to do 15Ks and again, like it just poured. But you know that rain where it's so hard that you actually can't see where you're going? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that just became not fun in the end and pulled the pin at about 13Ks and said, that's enough. Then uh, headed out Saturday for another easy run, did 19Ks on Saturday in 510 pace. Uh, was starting to feel a bit better on the Saturday but still wasn't feeling 100% and had a chat to the coach because on Sunday we we had in the program another one of those um, marathon tempo simulations yep. and he just said to me, don't push it, you know, don't even bother going on time, just go by feel and, you know, if feeling good is five-minute K pace then that's what you go out and do. So um, I just thought, yep, that's fine. Uh, And so Sunday headed back down to Cronulla actually of all places where we went the week before because they had a fun run happening. And as I'd mentioned, I seem to, I don't know, I can turn it on for when it's a race, even though I wasn't racing, but like a race environment. Uh, It was a 10K run, really low key, sort of a local community fun run. And again, it was torrential rain and crazy winds on an out and back course. So husband was like, not doing it. 
don't run in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) Pulled pulled a Kenyan. (laughs) And I was like, well, you sit in the car and watch me run. (laughs) And uh, anyway, he um, begrudgingly got out of the car and and came along and did it. So uh, anyway, all in all, actually had a much more positive and successful session than the previous week. Ended up doing the 14K. So it was meant to be a 60-minute marathon pace tempo and my marathon pace is 416 so around 640 miling um ended up running 414 pace for the full did just under an hour actually because i hit 14ks in about 59:30 and thought all right that's enough <laughs> um and i actually felt like I felt pretty good. Like I'm I'm not going to lie, it wasn't easy. I I probably say that it was like comfortably hard. Does that make sense? Am I making yeah. sense by saying that? Yeah, I think so. But I think you might have mentioned to me during the week that you thought you probably at this point, given you were feeling not that well, couldn't have been able to sort of go on and no, complete the full marathon no, necessarily. definitely but. not. So if Sunday was my marathon, I hand on heart could not have continued running that pace. I think on Sunday the furthest I could have managed to get out of that pace was about 30Ks. Yep. But I took a lot of positives out of that because I thought, well, I've just come off a week of feeling average, having that little cold. Um, last week was my fifth week in a row of running – over 80 kilometers which is 50 miles and you know in the context of myself that is huge like i know that there are block for you that is honestly it's the biggest amount of mileage ever in my entire life so like even if i don't hit this goal in the marathon i'm actually quite proud of myself for stringing together and if i if i get through this week it'll be six weeks in a row over 80 kilometers 50 miles like Never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine that I could have strung that together. So I'm pretty pleased about that. And Yeah, that's really good. You know how we're sort of talking about the like we enjoy the process of this marathon journey and for me that's sort of part of it. You've got to kind of give yourself a pat on the back for those kind of achievements because whatever you do on race day, you've still ticked off something pretty major that you haven't done before through the training process. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if we celebrate that enough. Um, you know, I definitely don't. Yeah, but we should. And, and we really should. And, you know, especially, you know, for us who are not elites and don't really have aspirations to be, like this is like for me running these 80 kilometres a week in amongst everything else that's going on with my life, I just think I like I'm pretty proud that I've been able to do that and I'm still relatively sane. Some people would probably argue that that fact (laughs) but um so I sort of walked away from Sunday going well you know five weeks of that mileage and a cold I'm I'm pretty positive that you know I'm gonna get close to this goal that I have set so you know I I may blow up and end up having to crawl home and end up running three hours 30 but (laughs) my headspace (laughs) at the moment I'm thinking you know I've got a three-week taper ahead of me, I'll have the excitement of the race, I'll be over the cold. Um, if all if it all falls into, into place, I think I'm going to get pretty close. Absolutely. And look, with how well you're running 
on all this sugar, I think maybe you shouldn't try and give it up and maybe you should just um, contact Cadbury's and maybe you could be like the poster girl for the um, the Cadbury Marathon down in Hobart oh. in, um, in January. Look, it's on my bucket list and it's certainly not because I want to, you know, I want to finish on the podium, not for the medal or prize money. Have you seen the hampers they give away? I haven't, but I understand that they're fairly brimming full of sugar. They look epic. So if anything is going to make me run quick, it's to run for one of those hampers. So it's absolutely on my bucket list. Probably win your body weight in chocolate or something. (laughs) I would be so, I'd be so happy. So that's definitely up there. But um yeah, so overall last week I did, again, 81, 81 kilometres, which was uh, just over 50 miles, ticked off another week, finished on a high with that marathon simulation, hitting that goal, um, and am feeling pretty good and completely fueled by sugar. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Did you do any fueling practice during that run or did you just roll up and just run? So... Uh, Look, and they, look. there are probably so many areas that I can improve and that is definitely one of them. I, I'm not a big, like, I don't know, I just don't really seem to need to take on a lot of fuel. I haven't done the marathon yet, so I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that will, like, profusely disagree with that statement. But uh, no, I have a couple of those little cliff blocks, like I said, because I do get a bit hungry and I, again, I really like the sugar, <laughs> the sugar hit. But I honestly don't take on any water or anything else. I, I genuinely don't feel a need for it. Yeah. So, yeah, look, and I think, you know, that's a topic that we can explore later and it's certainly something that after I've done this marathon maybe I will be questioning a bit more. But, you know, I was actually listening to uh, one of Steve Monaghetti's interviews during the week and he was sort of saying one of those things that, like back in the day, they just got out and ran. And I know that sports science has come a long way and there are definitely been some advancements in those areas, but they ran pretty bloody fast off <laughs> not worrying mm-hmm. about lots of little things. So um, yep. maybe we overcomplicate it these days. Possibly we do. And, look, um, maybe that's, that's a good time to start talking about our topic of the week, which actually – builds on what we were talking about last week when I had my old man calf woes. So, as mentioned, um, I caught up with physiotherapist Kevin Liebethal, um yesterday and we were having, uh, we had a, a really good and detailed chat about all things rehab, prehab, management of old man calf and related issues. And Kevin's actually, as it happens, running the Melbourne Marathon as well. Um and he, did, I think, wasn't actually when we were recording, but um, he was talking about his old school fueling strategy for the marathon. And I think he's going to be having um, having solo, which is like a, a ah, sweet lemon yeah. soft drink for those that don't recognise the brand name. So he's going old school. I'm going old school because I'm just having apple juice. Um, <laughs> And look, I might carry a gel or two with me, but um, yeah, I'm not going to be kind of obsessing about it too much. I think as long as you can get in a bit of sugar during the run, um, that's probably the main thing. Um, so yeah, old school remedies. Mm, no, I, I think it's, it's, yeah, look, I think if you're at the pointy end of the spectrum, then those little one percenters make a difference, but you and I are going to be not so much at the pointy end, so. No. Probably doesn't Def- matter as much. Def- definitely not. 
All right, maybe it's that time now to throw to my chat with Kevin and uh, this one goes for about um, 50 minutes and, yeah, Kevin is just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom about um, all things to do with management of running injuries and also just enormously enthusiastic about his running in general, um, which I'm sure you'll get out of this discussion after this. And we're now joined by Kevin Lieberthal, a physiotherapist who specialises in running. He's from Physio at Central Park in Malvern East in Melbourne. How are you going today, Kevin? Yeah, I'm good, Brian. How are you going? Um, I'm well. Um, I've had a short period in Ballarat where it got warm and the sun came out, but now it's cold and raining again. So I'm, I feel much more at home now. Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know if you've looked closely at it, but um, I'm not overly excited about the uh, the warm forecast for um, Sunday. Yes, and by Sunday. We're talking about Sunday is is race day for the Melbourne Marathon, and yeah, I've, I've been trying not to think about it, Kevin, and, and you've just you've just caused me uh, a little bit of anxiety there because um, I have had a look at the forecast, and it's currently looking like it's going to be warm and windy, so pretty much the worst possible combination for marathon running. Hey, we've just got to, we've just got to rely on the uh, on the the bureau changing their uh, their predictions. Uh, over the next couple of days, so we'll, we'll just keep an eye on that. I'm, I'm really hoping that that will be the case. Are you actually running yourself, Kevin? I am, mate. I am. Excellent. And the full? I am. So it's uh, my first solid crack at a full for a long, long time, having uh, had a bit of a, a, um, a break from, I want to say, pushing the, the, the marathon because uh, having done some study, a couple of little ones, and... Uh, Having gone to South Africa to run Comrades last year, my marathon uh, hiatus or having a crack has, uh, I haven't had a, a good go at one for a, probably a good eight years. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it and hoping that the, uh, the weather holds, uh, yeah, holds up and we don't get too much wind. Yeah, that's right. And look, must admit, about this time last year, they were forecasting quite a hot day for Sunday, and it ended up missing. Yeah, it was perfect weather was for my first cracking, marathon. Cracking day. So um, I was on the sidelines at about the thirty. Was the, the crossover at the top of the ten, the thirty-six and thirty-nine k mark, with my daughter handing out uh, uh, snakes and, and playing some uh, some tunes, hopefully giving people a bit of motivation uh, yeah. and through towards the finish. You might have seen me dribble past as I tried to <laughs> tried to get up the hill. <laughs> uh, very good. Well, perhaps um, you've mentioned that you've done comrades, but perhaps give us a bit of a bit of background on your ultra running and marathon experience. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I went into running um, oh, probably about 14, 15 years ago. My background was I played a lot of squash, but got a bit. What was it? I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. And, I had a dabble at a marathon and entered a marathon out of the blue and just absolutely loved it. And uh, my roots go back to South Africa. So I'm, I am, and whilst I don't have much of an accent, um, I am an ex South African. And Comrades, once you run a marathon, Comrades is just one of those incredible events that you hear of people having done and 
many people having multiple ones. I remember as a kid just before I left South Africa watching Bruce Fordyce, a, a very, very famous uh, ultra runner, win one of his, his many Comrades events and uh, had the, the burning desire to go and do, do Comrades and uh, did my first one in 2009 and then uh, that was a down run and then went back with a group of, uh, of mates um, with my, my father on the, the sideline supporting last year to do the, the up run. Fantastic. And how would you describe that experience? I've, I've heard a few people talk about just how incredible it is. Like. Yeah, so I've, I've run Berlin Marathon as my biggest big city marathon. I haven't done New York, so I can't compare that. But it, you just the, the start line is unbelievable. I mean, when Chariots of Fire gets going as well as the South African National Anthem, it's it just the nerves, knowing that you can be confronted with these hills, and these hills are massive. And <laughs> one after another, they don't call it the uh, the Valley of a Thousand Hills for nothing. But the camaraderie during the event, I mean, the name itself, whilst it was, it's got its name from um, the reasoning behind it is uh, as a as a, a run to remember fallen comrades during war. It's the camaraderie during the event. Everyone running it is just fantastic. As an event, I can't, yeah, if it was much cheaper to get to, but easier to fit in from a training schedule, I would love to do it year in and year out. And I can see why people go back to do it year after year because it is just unbelievable. It hurts like hell. But as an event, um, I can't compare it to anything else I've ever done. Wow, well, that sounds pretty incredible. You've you've almost got me excited enough to do it, but I, th- I think I might have already said on this podcast that I'd never run an ultra, so maybe I'll have to change my mind. I was going to say I do remember you some time ago, years ago, I think, even talking about the longest stuff not being your your favourite. But um, even like the, even the training, I mean, when you, you some of the training runs, um, doing runs like that, there's the uh, the old Percy Serity run, which is the Frankston to um, to Portsea. Run doing that with a bunch of mates is just just part of the journey. To do an event like that um, was um, was pretty you know, a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So you've done those couple of comrades events, the up and the down. And how many actual full marathons have you run? I don't know. If you, I don't know if you would include um, roller coaster in there, which is a, a nice bit of a punch up in the the down and nines up. Of it. Whoever wants to, that's another one I would I'd highly recommend if you enjoy doing some long runs. Um, those hills also, they're pretty nasty. But so I've done Gold Coast, a couple of Canberra's, a handful of Melbourne, Berlin. Um, yeah. Oh. A huge amount. I should have got you on, got you on earlier, Kevin. No, no, no. I'm slow and steady. I'm, I'm just... Uh, I, I love doing them, not as nowhere near as fast as um, where I would love to be and, and where a lot of people um, are able to run it. But um, it's just a marathon. It's just, a, I don't know, it's, it's hard to describe. I don't know what your emotions were with your first, but there's just, it's almost a bit somewhat of a, a romantic event, as I best describe it, where you spend some time training with mates and you, you know every time you do one, it's going to be different. It's Ks, you never underestimate. You can get cracking weather. You can get tough weather. You, you, you can get a, a harder course, an easier course. But 
it's it's just such a, a, a distance that this it, it can be a fantastic event, but you just don't know what other little hurdles you get along the way. And um, and I think it's it's that unknown that makes it such a a, a, a nice event or a, to go back and, and do again and again and again. Yeah, I think you're right. And look, I, I absolutely put my hand up and say I was the a pretty reluctant marathoner and I guess that's why it took me so long to get around to doing it and didn't do one until I turned 42 last year um but I I agree with you there's definitely something about it and once you get into it it kind of catches you and you begin to get hooked and I've particularly enjoy like the process of of the training um and it really kind of forces you to be a lot more patient um and thoughtful in the way that you prepare um, because you know you've got this big goal um, and, uh, yeah, you can pretty easily go wrong along the way. So it kind of helps keep you in check a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it's easy to sometimes get caught up and, and make a few little mistakes along the way. And I think every, everyone who's done a few will certainly put their hand up and, uh, and can recall errors that they've made somewhere along the lines from a training perspective. That's uh, sometimes is just giving them a bit of a wake-up call. Other times. Um, and unfortunately derail um, a, a good lot of preparation for the event. So, um, yeah. Yes, and look, that probably is a good segue to the reason why we're having this conversation actually, Kevin, because, um, yeah, it's probably a week and a half ago I was setting out on a run and my calf inexplicably, seemingly out of nowhere, just kind of tightened up on me. Um, and that kind of then predicated this discussion about um, with Lisa about old man calf. So I was going to ask you, um, is this phenomena of um, older, older gentlemen um, getting calf injuries, is that actually a thing? Is it a real phenomena? Well, yeah. I mean, as one gets uh, older, there, there is a greater risk of, uh, of injuring your calf and there's there's – there's been a, some recent um, research which has looked at risk factors going, uh, well, risk factors with regards to calf injury and, um, and the two that um, pop up are older age, being the older runner, um, as well as previous calf injury. So, uh, What about being male? Does that come into it? Um, <laughs> well... Gender, again, you'll certainly see when you look at even Achilles issues, males definitely um, pops up. But um, from the, the calf perspective, I think us male runners seem to, um, uh, yeah, just fall into that trap of um, having a greater prevalence of calf injuries. Right. Okay. So it is actually a thing. I'm going to have to now confront well, the reality. Always, it's always the joke, and I uh, I do have a bit of a joke with patients when they do come in with the, the calf injury, and when you throw into Google old man injury, um, what typically comes up, and uh, and it is the calf. Yep. Well, okay. That's slightly depressing, Kevin. It appears I may be stuck with um, having to manage my calves as I uh, embark upon trying to hit this. Um, I don't know if you've, you've heard, I've set a big goal of trying to do 10 Melbourne marathons in a row. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm on a streak of one at the moment. So I was pretty keen for this little calf tightening up not to derail me um, and, and fall over at almost the first hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about 
the calf, um, there's a whole bunch of muscles going on in that area. And when we're talking about so, so when, when we talk about calf and the if you, you go to the anatomy, it's often we often talk about the triceps surae, which yep. is your, your bulk of your calf. So triceps being three components, two of those components are actually made up by the one muscle, which is your gastroc or gastrocnemius, which you, we've got a medial head and a lateral head. So those two components make up your gastroc, and then you've got your soleus. Um, and as a, a unit, they'll often be termed as triceps surae. And there's yep. another little muscle there called plantaris, which is kind of a, a muscle which some people don't have, some people do, but it's... A, that, that's the monkey muscle, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's not really a um, one that um, is of, 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 of... When you're looking at the calf muscle or calf muscle function is one that comes about. There, there is... Um, some relevance when one looks at it from an Achilles perspective, because there are some people who will get some um, some issues with their Achilles associated with the plantaris. But on the whole, it's um, it's, it's, it's uh, really not a, a key component of that calf complex. Yep. And when we're talking about calf injuries and severity, and particularly considering. Most runners like myself have got this like hard deadline of there's a race coming up in X amount of days. Like, how do you kind of navigate um, a runner who would come to see you with, for example, say, for example, for me, I had a tight calf versus someone who had strained it versus someone who'd actually torn a calf. Yeah, and kind of go about helping them. There's there's different levels and there's also some different discussions as to the grading aspect. when you look at this, there's elements where one can have muscle overload or a disorder of the muscle where there's no, you've, you've got that tightening, you've got that um, a, a, a bit of soreness there, but there's no significant structural damage as such. So there's, there's that kind of intermediate grade, which will often resolve and recover in a fairly short window of time. Then when we start to go to your, your, your grading, so a, a small um uh, strain or a grade one where you get a small amount of muscle damage. Um, you can have sometimes that onset of pain during or even after activity. Now, some people can continue, but, ma- but some may be forced to actually stop. So there's where you're looking at your low grade or your grade one. A grade two is typically it'll, it'll stop you from, from exercising um, and you'll have quite a typically quite a specific um, incident that will uh, and you'll have somewhat what we'll describe partial to moderate tearing of um, the, the calf muscle. That's usually going to be associated with a longer layoff. And then when you have a, a high grade or a grade three type um, injury, um, which will often be quite disabling um, for, for an individual where uh, they'll often probably need to be on crutches, struggle weight bearing, and that can be quite a long um, rehab process to get them um, to get them back. So taking us through that spectrum, say, for example, mine, where it's sort of more that sort of non-specific, just got a bit tight and, you know, seems to have responded pretty well and pretty quickly to some stretching and a few other things. Like, is that usually kind of a like a week or two weeks to kind of just... Yeah, well, I mean, they can be... The, 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 challenging, the, the challenging element is, and I, I don't want to put the fear in you as such because... Um, from clinical tests, so for me, there's certain clinical tests that I'll be running someone through to kind of go, okay, well, where are they at this stage? Where where would I be roughly grading them? 
um, as a, um, a measure from where their current injury is and with being able to determine how much running they do um, and what other rehab um, considerations they, they may have at that point in time. So, for example, say, um, if you look at running, running by and large, you're hopping from one leg to another. Yep. Um, and if you can't hop, whether it be in place or a series of forward hops, well, the question is, should you be running full stop? So if someone's coming in reporting tightness, I can't hop or there's a clear inability or impairment to hop, well, then I'm already flagging whether they should or shouldn't be running. So there's those clinical tests that will help guide what you can do. I mean, if someone can't do a single leg calf raise, you're not going to even ask them to um, to hop because the last thing I want someone to do is if they can't do a single leg calf raise and then I ask them to hop and then they actually um, re-injure themselves or make the, the injury worse. But yep. um, you, you wanting to use those those gauges as, as measures. And then obviously if you're passing that and you're doing well, then you're wanting to be able to obviously um, look at um, um, getting someone doing some some volume of running. If you're ticking all those boxes, making sure that they're not getting worse during running and they're pulling up well. Um, and also in the um, the early phase, even it's, if it's one of those things, well, can they, would you be able, and this is a question you might be able to ask for where you are at this particular point, is if you can run continuously or whether you're having to throw in periods of walking just to, give your calf a little bit of recovery time before you um, give it the next bout of, of running load. Yep, that makes sense. And happily, I've, I've been able to run continuously and, and without any pain. So, um, so there you're already giving some uh, some example, whereas some people will come in and they'll go, you know what, it, it, I felt that tightening during my run. And I can even give you a, a, a clinical example of where someone's gone, oh, listen, I felt this t- sense of tightness when I was running. And it forced me to stop. I had to um, walk. I felt fine when I walked. And as soon as I'd run again, it would start to tighten up. And then they gave themselves a break for two or three days. And then within a few hundred metres of running again, bang, it started to tighten up again. So that's a very different clinical picture um, to what you're just describing then. Yes. And and I've been sort of fairly... I was going to say sometimes almost easier when someone has a higher grade injury because you know that that specific um, injury is going to actually put them out for a, a period of time. You go through your rehab processes and then it's a guided return to run, progressive loading program. Yeah. When you're on that borderline, a bit of overload, and and this is and this is why I'm saying is it's hard to know is how will you go running over a 42k run as your calf progressively fatigues yes and that's the the question we it's 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 near impossible to give you a definitive answer on that yep yeah look that's it's probably been in the back of my mind and i'm just (laughs) trying to keep it in the back of my mind then the other question is you can see and and this is that from a a clinical perspective is i'll be trying to go well was there a reason that your calf type because we're and this is, and I'm, I'm diving back into errors I've made along the course. And I, I'm thinking of a, a, a specific training session I did when I, I looked to do Great Ocean Road. And this is when I talk about my, hate, my hiatus from running because I was going to have a red hot crack at Great Ocean Road a number of years ago. And I was training, I was probably the fittest, and I was, I was fitter and stronger than I am now. And I'll never forget 
having done a long run, um, I think I did 36 Ks on a, um, uh, a Sunday, felt fantastic, pulled up really, really well. And my plan was to do a fairly easy Tuesday recovery run. And I had a few mates doing a bigger training session and stupidly, and even though when I started the session, I knew I shouldn't be doing this, got sucked in and it was a pretty competitive training session. I was fine, except for the last rep, I was shot. I, I was, couldn't keep up with them and was struggling to, I just had absolutely nothing left in my legs. And then the Thursday session, I was pretty cooked and then it got sore um, the following week, which is one of those, those issues. It's not always this, this, the one session that you do. It can sometimes be the week later when something comes up and that's where I would throw the question to you and go, well, if the way that it's behaved, is, was there a, uh, a, a clear thing that you can think of that might have tipped you over the edge or, or there was nothing specific that you can think of? It was just you were running and you felt a specific um, sense of tightening or, or pulling during your calf during a, a running session. Yeah, look, we kind of um, I went back and kind of agonised over that a little bit and there's probably a couple of potential causes that maybe not one thing but um, there was um, a speed work session that I did um, probably about two and a half, three weeks before the calf tightened um, and I kind of did that and realised that I wasn't really fit enough to do that kind of training or hadn't done enough anaerobic speed work. So um, I was finding that technically I was breaking down during the session a bit mm-hmm. um, and I also did that session wearing a pair of um, dead flat ultra shoes. And this is, this is I suppose, where you, there's that element of the, the, the storm. Is it yep. one factor or is it one plus another plus another yep. and all of a sudden you're doing speed work in a shoe that's going to – so the speed work's going to put more demand on your calf. The, yep. the shoe's going to put more demand on your calf. And I can even throw another question to you, and this would be an – there's probably two other things that can influence it, is whether you were doing it on hills, if there was any hill element to it, because that's going to increase the load in the calf mm-hmm. in the surface. So either a loose-type surface or grass, because that's also going to increase the demand on your calf. Yeah, no hills, but yes, loose surface. Um, so yeah, that kind of granite, sandy kind of surface was what I actually did that session on. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's so, you know, those those other elements where you start to to look at those contributing to the, the increased demand on your calf complex through a session like that. Yeah, definitely. So that was definitely one that I picked that could have been like you know a single mistake that could have contributed to it. And the other one was just wearing um, the flatter shoes. Um, perhaps a little bit too often because I, I had one pair of ultras in the rotation. I was kind of wearing them maybe about once a week and I liked them so much I bought a different pair um, but still both flat and then, you know, suddenly I'm wearing them two times a week out of two runs out of six or something like that. So would you normally maybe just I wear them out of one run or? Yeah, I was probably wearing them maybe once or twice a week and then I bought a second pair and then I started wearing them a little bit more. So, um, just overall, I may have just increased that load just slightly. Um, yeah. And then the other challenging thing is through a marathon program, my assumption would be not only that, is your overall volume would have been increasing at the same time. That's probably the only thing that wasn't happening because okay. I, I kind of got myself to a, a pretty good plateau of, you know, about 80 kilometres a week and I've sort of been there for most of this kind of build-up. Um, 
and I kind of decided that I wouldn't try and push my mileage any higher because I was adding in a little bit of an intensity into my program. So, yeah, the, I decided that I wouldn't sort of, you know, chase 100Ks a week this campaign. I was going to leave that for um, 2019. So, um, so yeah, mileage wasn't really increasing a huge amount, but there were some longer runs during that period. So, yeah, your point's well made there. It could have been the fact yeah. that, yeah, having to get out and do those two-and-a-half-hour runs. Um, yeah, so enough about my calf. <laughs> one, one that was interesting that Lisa described um, a couple of years ago, she did the, well, she was trying to do the New York Half Marathon and a couple of weeks before she actually pinged her calf during a training session um, and that sounded like, a grade two from your rationale because it it kind of pulled her up straight away. Um, she couldn't run. She was basically no running until the event. She's tried to actually do the event, yeah. um, but then like pulled her calf within like a, about one kilometer of the start. So yeah. with that kind of grade two, would that be normally like more six weeks yeah, or is it more? Four, like I'm a lower end, probably four on the, but somewhere between that four to eight week mark will often be the the range that. Um, um, your grade two rule typically range. Um, the, the challenging thing is obviously when you have more uh, muscle damage, you've obviously got to get that scar tissue to um, have adequate time to be strong enough to tolerate the higher the higher load. So there is an element of time where you, you, you're wanting that new connected tissue to stabilise and then obviously as you, you – you're looking at your higher type loading activities being you're running and, and certainly running at speed. Um, that's something that's going to come to account. The other thing when you look at it from a rehab perspective and the, 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 the important thing when you're rehabbing is to make sure that you're working through the progressions of, of, of going from low to moderate to higher loads um, to also encourage the the, the, the tissue to heal and for the whole motor unit to become more effective at the task you're asking. So to do nothing and then expect it to be able to perform at a higher level is also going to be challenging for the tissue because it just hasn't been exposed to any of that load. So that's where that progressive loading becomes really, really important. Um, and, and that's where often um, if, again, you're using clinical assessments to gauge, okay, well, you can start hopping now, or right. Well, now we can start looking at some um, short blocks of slow running, and then gradually adding some volume to that running, and then progressively adding some speed to the running, and then ultimately adding higher challenging type loading of, of your heels and so forth. As long as you're ticking one box, you can then gradually move along to the other, and that's always the challenge when you have an injury and it's just prior to a major event. And, and it sounds exactly like what you've described is given that that really um, allowed that acute side of things to settle down, but the tissue has probably not healed adequately to tolerate the, the higher loading that you would have needed to have um, needed to have had in New York and then um, gone for the run and obviously the tissue tolerance was, was not there. That's what I can only ask from, from what it sounds. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like if you're in that kind of grade two area and you've done it within probably a month of the the, the yeah, start line, yeah. you'd probably be calling into the question about whether you should be running Correct. or not. And, and the other thing that comes in, and I would even I would even go the six to eight week mark because 
that's when we're doing big volume. And what's going to happen is in that phase, it's unfortunately that higher grade calf injury it is pretty much one that is going to unfortunately really railroad your program because um, you're not going to be able to do a lot of your big volume training um, in that in that block which leads up to your your marathon. So yes, the the, the tissue will probably be okay when you hit the start line, but your body's conditioning won't be marathon ready. So that's another consideration when you start to look at injuring or having a high grade calf injury um, a longer period out, because what you would, you'd hate to do is go in. I would always prefer someone to go into the event underdone than, than, than overdone. But if you're that underdone, you haven't got really any great conditioning, should you be doing the marathon anyway? Yes, I think that is the question. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long way home to be struggling the whole way. Or, um, also, you know, just the extra stress of wondering whether your calf or some other injury is going to go along exactly. the way. I mean, really kind of reduces your level of enjoyment. So, mm, so yeah, if you've done your calf <laughs> within a couple of months of the uh, marathon, sounds like it might be a good time to perhaps think about a different event and a, and a new goal. Um. So, Kevin, tell me a little bit about some of the the actual kind of rehab that you would do to, say, manage um, an injury through this process if if it wasn't too severe um, and you were still intending to kind of line up um, and do the event. What sort of stuff would you be having? So, again, again, the reason why I say the the, the challenging um, answer is it all depends. And the reason why I say it all depends is... If you are acutely, if you've had an acute flare-up two or three weeks in the lead-up, and we just and you're just querying overload, I'd be very wary to start getting someone introducing a, a new load into their program because the last thing you want to do is start inducing extra fatigue as you want to start getting your body freshening up for the event. So the things that would need to be um, really important considerations. In the um, in the lead up, um, um, might be footwear as, as a good example because you've already t- spoken to me about having a, a low drop shoe. I would be um, from a management perspective ensuring that you probably are in a, a more traditional shoe that's a bit stiffer, but you're obviously comfortable and have been doing a fair amount of running in because um, that um, higher heel height will reduce some of the loading. Um, through your your calf as opposed to uh, a dead flat shoe. That would be one thing. And if you've always run in a a flat shoe, there's that challenging question mark of do you stick even a little heel raise in, but then you're also changing something um, so much so that are you then going to alter the loading if they've always run in a flat shoe? Yeah, I've probably spent about 50-50 um, time in the flatter shoes or something with either flat or three mil yeah. um, and 10 mil. So I've done quite a few Ks in in my sort of marathon racing type shoes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'll, I'd always I'll, kind of intended to so, actually. So I would be leaning towards that. When it comes, I mean, I'm, I, so often massage and, and some neat, dry needling can be quite effective in reducing some of the, the muscle tone through your calf. I'm not a big one on, on stretching. Um, it's mm-hmm. pretty, um, if, if there's been acute tissue damage and people go crazy on stretching, often aggravate the, the, the injury. Um, and when you look at, at um, the, the stretching, I mean, if it, if it gives some relief and so forth, I, don't, I mean, if, it, if it's what someone does and it, 
gives them some relief. I'm, I'm comfortable them doing some of it, but not going over the, the, the top on the, the stretching side of things. Um, from, a, um, from another loading, you might look at actually giving yourself a little bit more um, recovery time. So um, having days, a few days off in the lead up. So rather than um, running, say, six sessions a week, you might um, drop off a couple of sessions just to give your, your calf a little bit more recovery time. And in some of your easier recovery runs, um, I would look at, I'm a big fan of the walk-run strategy, even um, as for someone who's getting recurring or ongoing calf soreness, just having that minute break can be a fantastic tool. So whether someone, um, even in their training program in the lead up to, or if something like this pops up, um, you might look at doing, um, whether it be in the early phases, one minute run, one minute walk, or two minute run, one minute walk, and then quickly going to four ones, and then ultimately even for long runs, doing nine minute run, one minute walk, just to give your calf a little bit of recovery so that you're not having such cumulative fatigue as you, you get towards the latter stages. Those would be some of the key things that um, that I would look at. I mean, I've, I've just had someone do um, Chicago Marathon um, who did a 9-1 strategy. He came to me with um, a calf issue and he's, he hadn't done any long runs. Um, so he did his long, long run strategy was 9-1s um, because we had to he had to find a means to build up his, um, his running load and the 9-1 strategy worked a treat. He did that in the marathon. Um, and whilst his time wasn't where he would have loved it to have been, um, he went had a, had a great event and um, and take my hat off to someone who's just going to do that to to get through uh, an event like that. So those are, are, are those um, strategies that, that I'd implement. But very different if one looks at from a rehab perspective. If you've had either the recurring injury or you've you've had that higher grade, and then we want to actually implement. A, um, a, a rehab plan because um, um, as I was talking earlier, when you start to look at the the, the, the calf unit as such and um, if there's any any other things you kind of want me to divert on, I'm happy to, I, can, I can easily start uh, talking a lot about these. Um, the When you start looking at your, your gastroc and your soleus component, um, it's important to look at um, which component you've probably injured and, and the, the, the gastroc component is often that your, your netballer or your, you're someone who's made a, a sudden change or they've jumped off something or um, you might have a tennis player who as they've gone to extend their knee and, and, and push through the ball, their, their foot, they'll often feel that sharp pain through the, the gastroc, whereas more commonly we'll probably see in the, the running athletes, um, you'll commonly see the soleus type um, injuries that that crop up so if we start looking at um at rehab uh, a lot of times you'll see and commonly people are doing lots and lots of calf raises which for me are a, a really really important exercise and and also very important if you're looking at tendon loading because when we look at that the tendon loading we actually want to have higher load on the tendon and you can certainly achieve a good higher load on the tendon as well as that calf unit when you're doing a calf raise. Those those calf raises, Kevin, are they more the kind of eccentric, um, dropping off a step type ones, or is it just any kind of calf raise? No. So with calf raises, and, I, and I'm probably um, when I'm getting people doing calf raises, I probably 
uh, what I say, I probably I fall into um, more of your slow eccentric concentric calf raise. So you're still going up and down. Not being, we, we've kind of moved away from just the pure eccentric as being the main platform. It's certainly something that um, I'm, I will and, and not always, but sometimes introduce a an isolated eccentric. If I'm really trying to chase a bit more strength because you can tolerate a, a higher load when you're, you're doing um, an eccentric load, but you can still generate a, um, a lot of force through that calf doing a slow concentric eccentric contraction. Um, a lot of times when people will do your calf raise, they just do it way too fast and momentum is often um, taken into account for some of the motion that they achieve. The other thing is a, a sore tendon um, doesn't like fast, rapid Movement. So, doing a, when you go from your isometric type loading heading towards a concentric, eccentric load, you typically want to keep it um, on the slower side of things. So, I'll get people typically counting three seconds up and, and three to four seconds down when they are doing their um, their calf raises. Yep. And so, just for the people who are not familiar with the terminology, when we're talking eccentric, that's putting your heel down towards the ground and concentric um, when you're going up on your toes for the calf raise. Yeah. And and the isometric sort of more like a, a hold, isn't it? Is Correct. That, it's a right? static contraction because mm. a sore tendon, the tendon, um, and this has come out of um, a, a, a lot of uh, great work from, uh, from I'll give me Rio applied. She did uh, some awesome uh, research looking at uh, tendon pain in the patella tendon and uh, and did heavy load uh, isometrics and, and show that that's a good way of providing um, uh, relief from tendon pain. And uh, she utilised that using a, an isometric, which is a static contraction. So when I'm doing the, the, the calf raises, I'll tend to have a slow up and a slow down just to ensure that the person is working through the full range of, uh, of motion um, that I'm getting them to, to do the calf raise in. And then the one exercise that I absolutely love, and years ago I probably didn't um, um, push it as heavily as what I do now, um, and again, it, it's, it's highlighted by uh, some more research that has shown how much force and, and the demands that are placed on your soleus, um, particularly when you're looking at the combination of your gastroc and soleus um, with regards to the work they do in your forward propulsion, but as well as that in managing your uh, the vertical oscillation. So obviously when you run, there's, there's going to be a, a bounding component and your calf contributes a lot of work to being able to um, propel you off the ground. So Soleus's work is really, really important. So seated calf raises are a, a really, really um, important exercise where you're doing a bent knee um, uh, calf raise. And would you – is that actually literally seated as in sitting on a bench? Uh, so in, in, in the gym, you've got your seated calf raise machine. So you're sitting down, your feet sit on a um, – on a bar, just depends. I mean, different machines are set up differently, but your feet predominantly sit on a bar that your heels are able to drop down. You've then got foam padding across your thighs. 
you're able to adjust the, the resistance by placing um, uh, various um, um, weights on the end so that you create a, um, uh, a lever and then you pushing through the balls of your feet um, whilst you've got the resistance across your thighs. Yeah. So if you didn't have a machine, you could maybe put a, a plate or something across yeah, you your, know what? Across I, your knee. I just am not convinced you can often be stable enough and get enough weight to do okay. because you, your soleus can push a pretty solid load. So another way of doing it, if you haven't got a seated calf machine, as long as you've got a, a Smith machine that you can get the bar low enough and you can put foam padding um, on your thigh, um, that's another way to do it because often people are uh, restricted in how hard they can or how much weight they can push. If you're even just using a bar or the like, by the discomfort of the force against your your quads, so that's often a, a, a limiting factor as to how hard you can you can push. And in the clinic, I use I've got a couple of force plates that I use to measure um, both seated as well as standing calf raises. When I do the seated test, I've, I've had a, a custom built platform with some nice padding that can sit on someone's thighs so that I can get them pushing up as hard as possible and be limited by how hard they can push rather than the fact that it hurts across their, their thigh. Yep. I like it. Sounds pretty good. Um, so what about my, my brother's had a few calf um, niggles over the years and, and his physios prescribed um, as rehab activities um, things like skipping. Um, and I know you already mentioned the hop. Do, are you a big fan of the skipping as well? Yes, I am. I, I um, and, and again, there's, it's always a question. This is the one I, I don't have the, the black and white answer for is how much skipping. Um, I know yep. there's often people will use um, a lot of your, your jump type exercises, whether it be box jumps or even depth jumps. So the dosage will often be sort of two to three sets of anywhere between three to six reps because those you don't want to be doing too much of them because they are really, really high load. Whereas skipping is 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 not that same that same high load, um, but it, it, it is a, a quite a challenging task on that um, calf complex, and it's a, a great exercise for me to look at improving your leg spring or that leg stiffness. So yeah. it, 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 it's it's a really nice exercise, but I would say but is you still need to ensure that you've got really good calf strength before you do that. So I would be looking at first building your calf strength with using calf raises and seated calf raises, and then you can start progressing towards um, some um, faster movements such as your, your, your skipping or using a metronome. So without having to have the challenge of jumping over a rope, you can use a metronome and play around even with um, the speeds that you, you hop at because if you get someone hopping at their own preferred hopping speed, you'll tend to find that most people will actually, it's quite interesting, most people will tend to hop roughly twice every second um, and that will have a, a reasonable load at the ankle and, a, and a, a mile below the knee. But if you actually then want to make it, if someone's doing that and doing that really effectively and really well, but you actually want to try and, and really work that calf complex, you can just ask them to hop faster or even get them to try and hop with a metronome in time at a faster rate. And what will actually interestingly happen is the knees will move less and more of the load gets put to the ankle. So the car's actually having to work a lot harder to be able to do that spring-like action. So it's a, a really nice conditioning exercise, but always the challenge is 
how much you get someone doing. That's just the tricky one. I think that was the challenge my brother faced because he, he was he's very uh, good at following the physio's instructions, but sometimes he takes it a bit too far and yes. he sort of took it upon himself to kind of keep doing his rehab and probably did too much volume and possibly may have caused himself and, like and, another calf injury and, and, by doing the rehab. Yeah. And, 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 Brian, the other thing I was going to say with that, and this is where it gets really tricky, is that type of rehab and, and really that heavy weights, the, the, um, your, 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 your high load plyometric type of things needs to be introduced and, and monitored carefully with your running volume because if someone goes, oh, I've done this great hopping program, and they introduce it when they, they're running, they're doing a lot of um, high-intense or hard training load, which might inc- include hill work and speed work in that mix. And then suddenly you add another thing. You know how we were talking about that perfect storm with maybe flat shoes, speed work on a soft surface? But all, all you need is that extra bit of, of higher plyometric load, and then you've, you've either land up with a, an Achilles tendinopathy or overcooking your calf and then landing up with a calf injury. So... How you bring it in needs to be carefully considered, as does the strength work one does. So, like when we could talk about rehab, and it's all we're talking about um, the speed of contraction, but then also we can talk about how many reps and, and how much weight you use. And I know historically a lot of people have often gone, well, running endurance is an endurance sport. You should do lots of, of calf raises and so forth. Um, if you think of how many times your foot hits the ground when you run, it's so many more times than even doing three sets of or four sets of 20 calf raises that you don't get the, that, those, that true endurance benefit from doing lots and lots of reps. So you, if you wanted to chase strength, you actually need to go with higher load type strengthening where you, you're dropping the rep ranges down and there's a couple of blocks of, of ranges to consider where you might even do anywhere between three to five reps um, as opposed to 8 to 12 reps. And often in, I think, the runner's mind is you typically like doing lots of volume and so forth, but doing the lower rep range is great for stimulating the muscle without leaving you too fatigued or too sore, whereas the moderate range, so your 8 to 12, stimulates the muscle, but if you're getting a bit of metabolic stress, again, you've got to give your body time to adapt to that. So you don't want to be doing heavy weights with that hypertrophy-type range and then trying to back it up with, with running volume as well, that's that's quite high. So it's just really important to take those things into consideration. Yep. No, I, lo- I like that advice. And the the advice on the low reps and high load on the on the weight training is it's kind of sim- similar to that this, this idea of polarization in training for runners in general. Yes. Um, where you're sort of getting out of the grey area and you're either yes. doing nice, comfortable aerobic work or you're doing something that's really quite strenuous and, and also, um, I a like so I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the polarized training where when you're going hard you go hard but when you go easy you go easy so many people and this is again we can this is cast a perfect topic because if you if you're constantly um running at a, a moderate intensity that fatigue builds and builds and then you throw speed in there and then you, you you're just doing hard running on fatigued legs you're going to overcook something, whereas if you're going out and you're doing, you're building your aerobic volume, you're doing nice, long, easy runs, you're not cooking your legs, then when you go and do your speed, you can get the benefits out of doing your speed work without overcooking your calf, especially when you look at how much demand is placed on your calf 
during all levels of running, but particularly as you go from easier running to then faster running, then to, to harder running. And for us distance runners, that calf load just goes up, up, up and up. It's, it, it does change a little bit at absolute top speed where the bias goes from your calf towards your hip, where at top speed sprinting, the demand on your hamstring and, and hips become much, much higher at top speed, whereas that incremental load in, in, in for distance runners, your, your calf um, demands go up and up, whereas at that top speed, because it becomes more a, a, a leg turnover rate where your sprinters are just able to turn their legs over really, really quickly, your foot's on the ground for such a short amount of time, um, they place a lot more stress on those um, on those hip muscles at um, at top speed. Yep. Uh, just before I forget, I was just going to mention those because we've just been talking about a lot of the um, kind of rehabbing stuff that you would, and you actually said this, this is not the kind of thing you would introduce if you're trying to get yourself to the start line. This is the kind of thing you would be doing if you were basically resetting for a different goal Correct. and you're oh. looking to... Or, 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 or don't, don't mean to cut you off. Or the other time is if you have pulled up tight from your training and you go, hang on, you know what, it's settled down, it's feeling good now, but maybe that's a flag to go, well, after this event, I actually need to spend some time working on it. I was thinking about that actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, after the marathon's over, I think you probably need to pay a little bit more attention um, to the calves, especially now that you've told me that old man calf is actually a real thing. Yes, it, yeah. <laughs> Um, so just a couple of other little things, um, Kevin, that people like me who are potentially carrying an eagle into an event might sort of think about doing. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts about whether you think these things might be effective or whether they're just, you know, something to make you feel good mentally. And one of them would be potentially wearing like calf sleeves or those tight compression socks. Yeah. Would there be my, any my, kind my of value in doing that? My view on them, if it feels good and you like them, wear them. Um, there's the literature is not there to say that they are going to be the be all and end all. But if they feel good, they feel comfortable. I've got no issue in someone wearing them. The only thing that I would have someone being very careful about is um, the you know the, the slip on. So not your your, your, your typical um, sock wear. Um, it's, it's a single sock unit. There are some where they just the, the slip ons. I did have someone years ago who put it on and the size that they had was too tight down the bottom and they landed up with a really, really significant um, paratendonitis where there was rubbing um, against the back of their Achilles. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's that's because there was just too much um, pressure around that area. So as they're running, you, you can just almost picture this pressure of the skin against the Achilles and after a period of time it, it rubs and rubs and rubs and then it eventually um the tissue around there becomes really and that's like a true inflammatory type um, response and really swelled um and that took a number of weeks to to resolve but those i would just be wary about the fit of something like that but the traditional um and i've i've, I've bought a couple of pairs and, and tried running in them um and and you know what that i would say they do kind of feel nice i mean i prefer on a personal level um i prefer um, not but I know some people love wearing them and they swear by the fact that they feel more comfortable wearing in them. And if, if that's the case, I'm, I'm more than happy with someone wearing them. And, again, if you if you try them and go, you know what, I actually feel a bit more comfortable wearing in them. I, I feel like that little bit of, um, I suppose, security or comfort having um, them around my calf, then 
I've got no issue in that. Yeah, might be a good confidence boost perhaps. Yeah. Um, and what about taping? Is that kind of a similar story? Well, the thing is, the question is you go how you would tape because there's a, a couple of times people might just tape locally around the area of tightness, which can give you that sense of relief, but it doesn't really alter anything from a mechanical perspective. Um, or there's taping where you can actually have um, tape coming underneath the heel and from sort of under the foot, under the heel, and then along the back of the, the calf um coming up and that potentially can add a like give almost a bit of a i suppose support the function of the calf a little bit um the kinesio tape that goes straight over the skin yeah i'm not kind of a big fan of, of just having that directly over the skin again if it makes it feel better um but it's something i wouldn't be be chasing the big issue though particularly the second one that I described, that taping underneath the heel and then along the back is what will it do to your skin at 10Ks, mm. 20Ks? If it starts blistering and whatever, that can also completely destroy your, your race. And some comrades last year, um, I was the fittest I had been for it. I was far stronger than the first time I did it. Um, my feet had never blistered. So I'd maybe get the occasional little, I say never, I might get the occasional little thing. It was a hot day and I don't know between the heat or going through the aid stations with lots of water that my feet got shredded like I've never shredded before and the last 25 Ks was was, was, was hell. So, yeah, it's one of those things one's going to be mindful from a taping perspective is that if it causes any friction or rubbing around the skin, that can be something that may be an yep. issue. And you probably want someone who knows what they're doing to apply the tape yeah, as well. Yeah, you know, and sometimes all you need is a bit of a crinkle in the tape or a bit of extra tension, and and it can and it can do that. So oh, again, race day, um, yeah, race day. I'm just I'm just cautious of something like that for for the, for the marathon itself. So yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah, uh, Kevin, we've given that a try taping yourself. I haven't actually tried taping. Um, I, I probably just haven't felt like I've needed to. Um, yeah, I, I, I did do one run in the uh, compression, the long compression socks, and that, that felt kind of nice. But because I haven't really worn them throughout the entirety of my training, I'm kind of reluctant to go there on race day, and particularly given it's going to be hot, like having long socks on is probably not something that's exciting me a great deal. Um, yeah, I want to get the maximum skin exposure going so I can cool down if it's going to be, you know, uh, low to mid-20s and maybe a little bit humid. Um, as you were saying, like, you know, if you start start sweating or if it rains, um, there's risk of rubbing and chafing and that's going to be pretty uncomfortable over the marathon. Yeah. Fantastic. That is a pretty good rundown, I reckon, Kevin, on calves. There's some uh, some good stuff for me to go away and have a think about and probably some good stuff for the listeners as well. Um, but, yeah, that's a, some really good advice in there about when to um, when to sort of forge ahead and um, take on the, the challenge of running your goal race or when it actually be might be um, better to reset and perhaps think about um, living to fight another day if you've uh, really done a more extreme calf injury. Thanks again for your time, Kevin, today. Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for having me.
No, not at all. And I, I reckon as we um, continue to pursue new goals that from time to time we're going to come up with um, some of these kind of challenges. So, yeah, I'd love to have you back on to um, dig into some more specific um, advice that we might need or some of the listeners might need along the way. That would be fantastic. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Kevin. So that was Kevin talking all things old man calf and and Lisa. Um, my big takeaway from that is I've really got to take this old man calf thing seriously because it is actually a thing. Well, it's funny because I I'm not sure whether we cursed him or not, but uh, my hubby has <laughs> pulled up with old man calf this week. Oh, no, <laughs> no another all, one. <laughs> so of all things, and he's and not even that old. He's, he's not old at all. And it was funny because you know you did the recording, and so I, I sent it to him and I said, "Here you go. Have a listen to this to work out how to fix your calf." <laughs> And uh, we were sitting down and I said, oh, you know, did you just listen to it? What did you get out of it? And he's like, I took away one thing. He doesn't like to stretch either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've like, got to concur on okay. that. I, I think I might have mentioned like, you know, only stretch when you have to. So and essentially only when there's something going wrong. But, yeah, otherwise I kind of hate it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, do you know what I love? I love how enthusiastic he is, not only just for running, but, you know, just I guess treating patients, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're elite or not elite just to so they can get back out there running again. So, uh, yeah, I, I really love it when you, you hear a, a professional in any sort of field that's as passionate as he was. Yes, absolutely. And look, as I mentioned, he's actually running Melbourne as well. And just by wild coincidence, his um, goal time is pretty much the same as mine. So um, You've got a friend to run with. Yeah, I may potentially have a friend to run with. So when we were talking off air, I said, yeah, I'm going to find you at the start. And uh, yeah, we might be able to um, uh, have a crack at that kind of three hour 20-ish time um, together, which would be good. And yeah, as he mentioned, he's like a He's like a diesel engine, like he's just so steady and strong with his with his ultra running background. Um, so, yeah, I think he'd be a really good person to run with um, mm. through Melbourne. Um, so he almost got me excited about um, doing the Comrades Marathon, but <laughs> I, I then just remembered that it's like 90 kilometres and I thought that is just ridiculous. And for someone who doesn't really like the super long runs, it's probably not for me. No, no, I think maybe steer clear of that one. But, uh, yeah, I know he loves those ultras, doesn't he? I can't quite get my head around them personally, but I know that they're certainly becoming more and more popular. Absolutely. And, yeah, just it's like we talk about the marathon being a whole other event, like ultras are just, mm. it's just a whole other sport again. Oh, I know. And I think just because some of them are so technical as well in amongst the trails, I, yeah, I think um, I, I've got to get over this marathon first to see whether or not I want to go any further. That's right. I think 42 is far enough. So what have you got planned or how long to go for you and what have you got planned for the week ahead? So I'm pretty excited about this week. This is my last big week. Uh, so it must um, be four weeks to go, four, is it? Yeah, exactly. So four weeks to go. And what I'm even more excited about this week is I'm only running four days out of the seven days. Uh, 
you remember how I was telling you about how I'm changing my Saturdays and Sundays? So Saturday is long run and Sunday is recovery. So on Saturday, I am attempting the longest run of my entire life, 34 kilometers. Wow. Yeah. And then Sunday is actually just a swim. So I'll only be running Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday this week. And then it's all downhill, taper, glory from there. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, that sounds sounds really good. Yeah, and there's um, actually a group of us going on the Saturday, so uh, I'm actually really looking forward to it. So there's myself, um, one of the other ladies that's doing New York, and my husband, we're doing the full 34, and we are doing – possibly the most boring run that you could possibly do. We're running down to Centennial Park, which is just across the road from our house, and it's about a – I'm going to say about a three and a half or maybe 3.4 kilometres on the inside. There's there's either Mm -hmm. a a concrete um, loop, which I think is about 3.6, or you can run the inside on the soft stuff, which is about 3.4. So we're going to do about nine laps of the – or maybe 10 laps actually, 3.4, good good maths, Lisa. And mm. uh, our training group trains there on a Saturday morning, so we're going to have a few people jump in and out along our 10 laps for warm-ups and cool-downs, and so it'll be a bit of a social event as well. Yeah, good chance to practice taking a drink and that kind of thing because you're yeah. about to set up little aid stations. Yeah, so we are actually going to do that. Uh, I probably should practice taking on some sort of fluid at some stage. I find it really tough though. I mean, we're experiencing just such cold weather at the moment here in Sydney. It's meant to rain again on Saturday. I just don't find that I get thirsty. and Maybe it's the time where I actually do need to learn to drink something, but I'm, I'm going to force myself to, to have some sort of fluid. Do you know what kind of um, drinks they're actually going to provide at New York? I have no idea. No, I'm assuming right. there's, there's water. Uh, oh, there's probably some sort of electrolyte as well. Have, I, do you know what? I haven't given I was, that any thought at all. I was just wondering whether because it's the New York Marathon and you've probably paid a million dollars to enter it that they might actually like give you proper pop-top bottles and stuff at, at least at one or two of the aid stations because that just makes drinking so much easier. I have absolutely no idea. It shows how much research I've done. I actually only looked at the course two days ago. I didn't even know. <laughs> it was because you you, know. you sent me, a, I think you sent me a text saying something about the Melbourne Marathon. Oh, no, you sent me an aerial picture of their marathon Melbourne course. Yeah. And I was like, they'd, they'd oh. put it. They'd put an aerial view of the course up on the website, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah, well, I said to you, God, I should probably go and see where I have to run in New York. <laughs> yeah. Is, it, is this like the first time you found out that there's actually a few hills in New York? Uh, I, I'd been there before, so I did know that, but I actually looked at the elevation map and isn't it funny when you – so in my head I thought I did a completely different course. I went and looked at it and I was like, oh, that's where I go. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, that's my week ahead. What about uh, what about you? Well, given it's um, the final week before the marathon, I'm not going to be doing too much. Um, so yeah, just sort of tossing up whether I do just do three or four easy runs during the week, um, and whether or not I'll have, um, yeah, either one or two days rest before the marathon itself. So, um, yeah, the, the plan is to take it pretty easy. Um, I have got like a little marathon rehearsal session which I don't know is just like a 50 minute run with like 10 minutes at marathon pace where you know you put on your race shoes and try that out um 
I'm still treating that session as optional, um, just kind of see how I go through the week because, um, yeah, after the couple of weeks that I've had with managing a few little issues, I'm uh, going to be pretty cautious this week and just sort of prioritise taking it easy and trying to hit the line um, in as refreshed state as possible. Mm. So that's going to be my week. It's exciting. I'm excited for you. I know that you have got a lot of nerves happening, but, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, it's, I'm definitely excited. It, it's funny, like I'm, I'm a bit nervous, but I'm also a little bit, I've almost reached, I love this word, sanguine. I'm a little bit sanguine about it because at this point it's like there's nothing you can actually do about it. So I'm quite opt- optimistic still about um, how it's going to go based on, you know, all of the training that I've done over the over the year. So, um, yeah, it's at the, it's in the hands of the marathon gods. Mm. That's pretty much where it's at. Mm. Well, it's very exciting and we'll talk in more detail uh, in a couple of days' time about your prep where your head's at and a couple of other things and then it's pretty much race I'm looking forward to that conversation Um, and as homework for that, can you ever think about what you're going to put on your your watch face for the marathon because I really want to know. Uh, really want to know what I'm going to – well, I've been thinking about that a lot, so I'm keen to know what you're going to do. Um, it's a good question because, yeah, as you can clearly tell, I haven't thought about much about the race apart from what time I want to run. <laughs> um, yeah, good question. I will have a think about that. Yeah, because that's going to be a key one, I think, for um, yeah, just ma- managing the mental side of things and giving yourself a little bit of feedback about how you're going but not kind of – overdoing it and overcomplicating it too much and I just had a bit of a sneaky look today and there are so many options for what I could put on my watch face um, that it's a bit bamboozling so um, yeah just going to be thinking about that over the next couple of days and come up with a decision before race day. Mm, Very good well you go rest up and keep that calf under wraps and, and your nerves, actually. <laughs> I, I, will, I, will, I will. I'll just go and take a little chill pill and lie down. Excellent. All right. You have been listening to the Running Technique Tips podcast with Brian Martin and Lisa Biffin. We'll be talking to you again in a couple of days for the pre-race Melbourne Marathon episode. See you then.